0: Well, good morning everybody. Can you hear me? <laughs> you can hear me without this, can't you? <laughs> um, it's great to be here. As Quincy said, I'm, I'm not actually finishing uh, the original carols series because Tim will be doing that on Christmas morning. So it's a four-part series. So this is part three uh, and we'll be looking at the angels' carol in uh, Luke 2. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke 2 The particular verses are 13 and 14 but I'm going to read uh, the first 20 verses because I want to set it in context but also uh, this is a passage that doesn't get preached on very much, does it? Because it only just sort of comes up at Christmas time and we sort of avoid it uh, at any other time of the year because it feels like, well, it's just the wrong time. So here we go, we're going to have the whole thing. Um, So Luke 2 starting at verse 1. and family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child while they were there the days were completed for her to give birth happens all the time doesn't it and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, it's interesting that the announcement of the birth of Jesus should be made to shepherds. You know, you'd expect it to be to royalty, to leaders, to the religious leaders, but no, it's to shepherds. Not only shepherds, but shepherds, out in the fields at night. And, you know, shepherds were ostracized by the religious leaders because due to their duties, and particularly these guys, they were out at night, so they were probably sleeping during the day, they weren't able to fulfill all the requirements of the law. And so they were ostracized by the religious leaders. Who does God send his angel to to announce the birth of the king of kings but to shepherds? out in the field it's amazing and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them now I'm sure somebody here will tell me that I'm wrong but I think the last occasion before this apart from Mary and Zacharias when an angel appeared to bring an announcement like this was back at Elijah's day eight nine hundred years it didn't happen very often so the angel suddenly was there. You know, these shepherds, they're there to watch over their flock. They're supposed to be guarding. Suddenly, this person appears out of nowhere. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Interesting, you know, when you see paintings of this sort of scene, you see angels and they're all sort of bright and white and shining and wings and things. I it, see it was the shepherds who were brightly lit up by the glory of the Lord and the, the, the glory of the Lord is, is reckoned to be the manifestation of his presence and his power. Can you imagine what that must have been like? So you're out on the fields looking after your sheep, sat down having a bit of a relax hoping it's all going to be okay and suddenly there's this guy there Where did he come from? I didn't see you creep up on us. And then, bam, the whole place is lit up like Trafalgar Square, except they wouldn't know it was Trafalgar Square. Um, So what was their reaction? They were terribly frightened, unsurprisingly. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today... In the city of David, there has been born for you a saviour. Now, however ostracised they were by the religious leaders, that was a bit unexpected. The Jews were hoping for the Messiah to come and be the conqueror, to release them from the oppression of the Romans. They weren't expecting a saviour. And yet that was what the angel said, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Yes, he is the Messiah. And he's come, not as conqueror of the Romans, but saviour of the world. And then he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, when you think of signs in the Bible, they're, they're pretty spectacular. You know, you go back to Moses and water gushing out of the rock or the plagues on uh, Pharaoh. Or, you know, Jesus healing people. Paul's hankies were taken off and people were healed. They're, they're pretty miraculous things. But what do we find here? The sign will be a baby in a manger. You know, they weren't rich people around there, so it, it may not have been the only baby who had to sleep in a manger. It was perhaps a bit unusual, but you wouldn't call it miraculous. But that was the sign that the shepherds were told to look for. And then, I wish Philip were here. He could probably sing this bit. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And immediately, you see, there's a connection. So an angel appears, but they are immediately, now this is God speaking to us, So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. It's interesting, isn't it? All, all who heard. I mean, it was only Mary and Joseph and Jesus there. Mary, it says, pondered these things and treasured them in her heart. Who else heard? Well, they did go out and you know, share the, the news a bit wider, but they all wondered at these things. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's play. Father, Father. We, we love your word, we love this story, uh, this amazing announcement that you came to earth. You came not just as God but as man, and not just as man but as a baby, and you came as Saviour, Messiah. Oh, it's, it's truly amazing, we love the story and we pray, Father, that you will lead us, And guide us through your word this morning, that we may learn from you by your Holy Spirit what you want to say to us today. Amen. Now, we don't know who the angel was. In in the visitation of Zacharias and Mary, we're told it was Gabriel. And Gabriel came and brought the prophetic announcement. For Zacharias, that Elizabeth was going to be pregnant with John the Baptist, and that Mary was going to be pregnant with Jesus, but here we don't know. We're not told it was uh, Gabriel; it was just an angel. Now, just a little aside, and it does relate a little bit to what I'm going to say. You know, I do, I do feel sorry for Zacharias. You know, he he's in the temple, he's doing his stuff like normal, he's on his duty. You know, it's like turning up, setting up the hall, putting the chairs out. He was doing his stuff and suddenly, bam, there's an angel next to him and announcing that he and his wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a baby and they're old and he's going, are you kidding? How can I know this for certain, he says. And, you know, what What does Gabriel say? I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And I don't know whether he said it quite like that. But, you know, he he, he sounded maybe a bit grumpy. You know, this was the first occasion. How long had he been waiting for this moment to come that he could come and bring this announcement? And Zachariah says, really? How can I know this for certain? But, you know, what Gabriel said, I think, is less about, do you not know who I am? I think it's more like, do you not know who sent me? And that's where I think Zacharias went wrong. That he didn't make the same connection that the shepherds made. Ah, this is God speaking. Sorry, little aside. Back to the text. Hey, what a privilege. What a privilege for that angel, whether it was Gabriel or somebody else. I don't, you know, how many... How many millions, billions of angels, billions and millions, millions of billions of angels, are there? And this one was chosen to announce the birth of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege to come and say that Jesus had been born, the incarnation, God-becoming man, to be the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed One. Wow, what a privilege. Do you know? We have the same privilege. We can't announce it for the first time. That's done. But, you know, when he says, I bring you good news, the word there is the same. It's the word we get from our evangelism. Evangelist, it's the same root as that word. So as we share the gospel, it's like we're announcing the birth of Jesus, that he became man. What a privilege. And then the choir arrives You know, it's not enough that there's an angel and the glory of the Lord shining around them. This choir suddenly appears. They're like the supporters on the away match. You see, because they're at home, they're used to doing this sort of thing. Up in heaven, you know, that's what they do. And here, it's like they're going on the away match and they're on the terraces. Yay, this is amazing. Glory to God in the highest. They, uh, maybe they're not quite like the supporters at a away match, but, you know, there's, there's a bit of enthusiasm for, with these angels as they arrive. I don't know how many there were, but there was enough to light up the place. And they sing glory to God in the highest. You know, it's very similar uh, to the other carols that we've looked at. Uh, it's an expression of praise, but or it's a bit shorter than the other ones. But it's just praise bursts out and it adds, it enhances the announcement, it adds to the information we get from this announcement. Glory to God in the highest is is an acknowledgement of God's majesty, God's rule, his dominion, his very godness. And it's what the angels have been doing all the time, as I said, in heaven. That's what they do. We see it in Revelation. It says all the angels were standing around. I don't mean they were sort of leaning about, wondering what to do with themselves. They're sort of standing around. It says they're standing around the throne, around the angels, the living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever And what they start in heaven, they continue on earth as they come and worship almighty God, bringing glory to him. You see, for the angels, it's just a statement of fact because there they are in the presence of God, acknowledging who he is. They see him for who he is. They're in his presence. For us, when we come to worship, it's a statement of faith. There, for them, it's like, no, no, we get it. We, we're with God. For us, it's a statement of faith as we come to worship. And that's why corporate worship is so valuable to us because we hear what other people say and share. And oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, I'd forgotten that about God. Or somebody shares a scripture and you go, oh, yeah, that really speaks to me. That helps me. That encourages me. And we find our faith lifted by what we hear from each other. But you see, worship is not just about uh, words spoken or sung. We, well, I don't think we help ourselves in the way that we talk about worship. Um, I think Quincy was quite careful this morning, but we often say, "Oh, you know, we, we're going to have the worship after the preach. As if it's, it, it sort of stands alone and is separate. And What did we do the last two songs? Was that worship or was that, just, no, we were just singing some songs. And what's the preach? Well, no, don't answer that. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, we, we don't help ourselves by identifying it in that way. Worship is not just words spoken and sung, it's, but it's a way of life. The Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man, i.e. the reason we exist, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper developed that further and he said, to glorify God by enjoying him forever. I think Paul puts it better still in Romans, where he says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When we give ourselves To God, when we when we are prepared to consider all of our life to be His, then we are worshiping Him. We're like the angels supporting the announcement. Our worship supports the truth that the gospel changes lives. So it's not just about turning up here on a Sunday and singing a few songs. No, it's about our lives being transformed by the gospel and when we do that we, we confirm the reality of the gospel in all that we do and say so that's the first part of the angel's carol glory to God in the highest what about this second part well now there's a bit of a challenge here because you'll find if you look at different translations there are all sorts of different ways to say this And there are different interpretations. And the reason for that is because the manuscripts that we have available to us um, have a word that is just slightly different. But let's look through some of the translations and see what we can learn. Probably the best-known one is the AV. On earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And those words, goodwill, It's the Greek eudokia, good pleasure or goodwill. But some of the manuscripts have an S on the end. And it's the same Greek word, but it adds a slightly different meaning. And it means of good pleasure. And you think, well, how does that fit? You might say, who cares? It's only Becky who understands the Greek anyway. (laughs) What difference does it make? Well. Let me explain. You see, if Jesus brings peace and goodwill to all men, then why haven't we seen it? He's had 2,000 years. We, our government only gets five years to turn things around. Jesus has had 2,000 years to bring that change. But we still have wars. We still have suffering. So what do we conclude from that? Or maybe it's not true. Maybe maybe God's not as good as we think he is. Maybe, maybe there's no God at all. You see, they're, they're reasonable conclusions from goodwill to all men. What about other translations? The easy-to-read version. I've shared that a few times here. This says, On earth... Let there be peace to the people who please him. So that's beginning to pick up this of good pleasure. So what does that mean? Well, the problem with that is it puts the focus on us. And it sounds a bit like Father Christmas. You know, you be good boys and girls, otherwise you won't get your presents on Christmas Day. But you see, God is not some overgrown Father Christmas who chastises the naughty and is kind to the good. The version I read, the New American version, is a bit like the ESV. It says, on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Ah, now we're beginning to get it. Of of God's good pleasure with whom he is pleased. The NIV takes it a step further. On earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. William Hendrickson, the Bible commentator, puts it like this. On earth, peace among men whom God has graciously chosen. His sovereign delight rests on them. With them, he is well pleased. And I think that's the reality of what this verse or this second half of the verse means. But, you know, it sounds a bit exclusive, doesn't it? Didn't the angel say this was good news for all the people, not just those graciously chosen by God. You see, the good news is for all people, but it's an offer of entry to an exclusive club with specific rules of entry. It's entry to a kingdom where the king has given his life so that we can have access. It's what we find in, in some ways in the Old Testament. Abraham called out to become a separated people, a nation with sacrifices to keep them holy and a promise of peace with God and protection from the nations around them. Relationship with God, but through a priest and so slightly distant, and we see that with Moses where God says, "I'll meet you on the mountain, I'll come and meet with you, come up on the mountain, but put a, put a barrier around the bottom, because nobody else can come. Nobody else could, if anyone steps on the mountain, they're, they're dead. This is a distant relationship. And access was by birth. You were born into the nation of Israel. That was for the nation of Israel, this. Is available for all. Jesus' birth heralds the gospel, the new kingdom, which includes peace with God. And it was promised back in the Old Testament by Isaiah. He says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Paul puts it similarly in Romans 5. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the relationship with God is not any longer through a priest, but Jesus, and it's no longer distant. It's a close relationship. It's not by birth, but it's by rebirth. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again, or literally born from above. It's not natural birth, but supernatural birth. Jesus' birth heralds peace, and his death obtained it. But when the angels made the announcement, that hadn't happened. You see, again, the angels are able to declare something that hasn't yet occurred with confidence. They experience what Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They are messengers of God. And if he says peace, then there'll be peace. It's a done deal. There's no question. Time is irrelevant. He could have said it 10,000 years ago or 10 minutes ago. But it's secure. It's solid. It's utterly reliable. And that was the angel's experience. It's not yet the same experience we have. We have the promise which we accept by faith but we only see in part. Paul expressed it like this. He said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Then we'll be like the angels. We'll know fully. We'll understand fully. Now we have to exercise faith. We know God is with us. When it feels like He's distant, we exercise faith. We know He is for us. But when we're disappointed, we exercise faith. We know He answers our prayers. But when heaven seems silent, we exercise faith. We think we're praying in line with His will. But when the answer is no, we exercise faith. Jesus demonstrated this to his disciples in a a story you know well. When he calmed the storm, we were singing about it earlier. In Mark 4, it says, when evening came, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. And you know what happens, they get in the boat, they're going across, the wind whips up, the storm comes, the waves are into the boat, the disciples are panicking, what are we going to do? They see Jesus asleep in the boat, they wake him up and they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he gets up, he rebukes the wind, he speaks to the sea, be still, the wind dies down, the waves are calm and he says to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, he doesn't rebuke them for being poor sailors. He rebukes them for lacking faith. They had both the promise. Let's go over the other side. And the presence. Jesus was in the boat. But they looked at the storm. How do we exercise faith? Well, we remind ourselves what God says. You see, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over the other side. He didn't say, let's go and drown in the water. What is it that God has said? We remind ourselves who God is. We remind ourselves what he's like. We remind ourselves what he's done. We remind ourselves where he is now in heaven with the earth as his footstool, ruling and reigning there in heaven. And here we are back to glory to God in the highest, worship. And the reverse is also true. If you struggle to engage in worship, and I don't mean just here, but partly here, but also you know on your own or with others. If you struggle to engage in worship, Or you find yourself saying to God, do you not care? Then you're in the boat, but you're looking at the storm. And need to copy not the disciples, but the shepherds, who went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And yet all they had seen was a baby in a manger. But one promise fulfilled was enough to exercise faith that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, had come. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. We have an amazing opportunity to worship God, we can declare. The gospel in what we do here as we worship and how we live our lives in honour and glory to him. And we uh, enhance the announcement that the gospel has come by the way that we live our lives. And we show that the gospel has changed our lives and this is what the result is and can continue to change lives of those who hear and receive the gospel. This is truly good news for all the people. Amen.